Well, this morning, just as John said, we're going to be looking at a few verses from the book of Malachi. So please turn to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 is what we're going to read. So just a few verses, but they're very rich for us today. Let me read those first. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised you? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. May God bless the reading of his word to us this morning. Well, you might think, well, what on earth am I going to be preaching on this morning? Well, what I'm going to be preaching on is giving your best for the Lord. Giving your best for the Lord. And I think this is quite a timely message because we have the Olympics coming up in just a few weeks' time. They start on the 5th of August and go right through for a couple of weeks until the 21st of August. And I'm sure that many of you are excited about it. I don't know if anyone is actually going to be going to the Olympics. Maybe some of you are. It's all the way in Rio, so rather a long way. But it's just such a great event, and they have amazing opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies. And before every Olympics, the whole world says, oh, the country's not done enough to prepare for it. It's going to be a complete disaster. And that's what we always think. They said the same thing about London Olympics about, seven years, about four years ago. But as soon as the opening ceremony starts, everybody's so stunned by it that it's like, oh, how could we have doubted for a moment that they would have had everything ready for the Olympics? And we see the excellence of all of the athletes. And even people like me, who are not super athletic, uh, are just, just blown away by the wonder of what people can do. My wife and I both enjoy uh, watching the gymnastics very much. And it's not like my wife and I watch gymnastics apart from at the Olympics, but we just love seeing, because the level of excellence is just so superior. And so, how about for us? What's that got to do with us? I'm not encouraging any of you to be last-minute sign-ups for the Rio Olympics. Um, don't know if any of us have that level of prowess. Maybe some of us do. But what I am going to be encouraging us today is to give our best for the Lord, to go for gold, as it were, for the Lord in our Christian lives. And this passage from Malachi will really help us to be able to do that. And as I said, I'm not a super athletic person. I'm not really athletic at all. But when it comes to serving God, I have 
a, I have a real competitive, not, not competitive desire, but a desire to serve the Lord to the best of my ability to go for gold, as it were. Uh, I, I'm not competitive really in other senses of life, but I am when it comes to serving the Lord because, and, and, and that's what the Lord expects from us, as we're going to see from this passage, is to give ourselves wholeheartedly to him, to sell ourselves out for the Lord, just the highest level of excellence. So let's have a look at a bit of background just to uh, introduce Malachi. Just a little background as we're just diving straight into this and uh, we're not going through the whole book or so. So let me tell you one of two things. Malachi means angel or messenger, and this may have been the prophet's name or it may just have been a title of the prophet. You could see how it could be his name, perhaps his name is Malachi, or you could see it would be appropriate as he's a prophet to be called angel or messenger. And these verses that we're going to be looking at are the first of... Sorry about that. These verses that we're looking at are the first of um, a unique form of a unique form of scripture, which is a diatribe form. So it's very much like the form of argument you would see presented in a law case. Uh, so you see, you know, you, one side says one thing, another side says something else. And the book of Malachi is dated to the first half of the fifth century BC, uh, with Nehemiah's first return uh, to Jerusalem as governor. And we know this because the word governor is used here, and uh, that corresponds well with the post-exilic time. So Israel, uh, Judah has been brought back to Jerusalem. And also we see here that the temple has been rebuilt. We see that because sacrifices are being offered here. And this book has a kinship with Nehemiah as well. And that would explain it well. If this was the time when Nehemiah was governor in Jerusalem, that's why we see a kingship here between the book of Malachi and the book of Nehemiah. We see the same sorts of themes in both. We look at the themes of tithing and of the, the problem of divorce, the problem of mixed marriages. They appear not only in Malachi, but also in Nehemiah as well. So it's right, I think, to date this to the post-exilic period, the middle of the 5th century, so the, the mid-400s, BC. And what we're going to be looking at today is three points. We're going to be looking at the Lord's accusation that we are despising his name if we are giving him bad gifts. So if we're not giving the best of ourselves, just like the priests, then God is accusing us that we are not honoring his name as much as we should be. Then secondly, we're going to be looking at the Lord's evidence to back up that accusation the evidence that we are not honoring him if we give him bad gifts. And lastly, we're going to be looking at the Lord's verdict on our not giving our best to him. So very much like a law case, we're going to see the accusation, the evidence, and then the Lord's verdict. So let's start off. The Lord's accusation. What is the Lord's accusation if we are not honoring him by giving bad gifts? And we're going to see this in verses 6 through 7. And I'm going to break this down into two points. God should be shown honor and respect in verse 6. And then secondly, our bad gifts do not show God honor and respect. So firstly, God should be shown honor and respect, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. 
But you say, how have we despised your name? So God is coming to the priests here, and he's taking issue with them because they are not because he, the priests are not offering the sacrifices in the way that they should be offered, in the way that God expects. But rather than going straight to the point and saying, you are not honoring me because you are giving bad offerings, God starts off by saying that they are not honoring here, honoring his name. And he says, and he gives us this illustration, that you respect your fathers, you respect your teachers, you respect your bosses, uh, as we could say today. But they're not respecting God. So God's saying, if I'm a father and you're a servant, where's the respect? If, uh, if, if I'm a master and you're the, and you're the servant, where is the honor that is coming here? So God is saying, because they're not giving the sacrifices to him, they are not honoring him as their Lord and master. And this is something that we have, we, 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 we have to work harder at to appreciate this, slightly harder at in this postmodern age, because we know that fathers are not respected in the way that they should be, in the way that they used to be. We know that teachers in schools are not given the honor that is due to them. And we know that even bosses are not being given the honor that is due to them. But nonetheless, even in this very postmodern age where authority is challenged, we can still readily understand that fathers are shown honor and teachers honor and bosses honor as well, even if it's, even if it's simply uh, for getting a good grade, you will still honor your teacher, even in this postmodern age. And if you want to have a paycheck, then you will honor your boss still, however begrudgingly. So I think we still get the point, even in this postmodern age, that we need to honor those that are our masters. And this is exactly the honor that God wants. If it's good enough for sons to honor their fathers and for servants to honor their masters, then God wants that honor as well and even more honor than that. So God here is being dishonored, not in what is being said, but in the way that he's being served. But nonetheless, his name is still being dishonored. So then, what is, so then we move on to the Lord's second accusation, that our bad gifts do not show him honor and respect. In verse seven, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. So here's God is saying that they're not honoring him because they're giving him bad gifts. We know that what you give to somebody shows what you think of somebody. If I, if I, uh, if there's a love, if I have a loved one and it's their birthday or maybe it's Christmas and I'm looking for a gift, then what I give to the person shows what I think of them. So I'm, I, I, try if, I try when I'm looking for a gift to go out of my way if at all possible. It just never feels right if I really value somebody just to pop into the store and pick up any old thing. But sometimes I might think, well, what do they want? Oh, this is what they would really like. And I might sometimes go out of my way and go to several stores, even though I could just pick up any old item, and be done with it. That's because what we give to somebody shows how much we respect them. Another illustration would be the way that I might dress also shows honor. Let's think of a wedding. If we go to a wedding of uh, probably anyone, but especially if it's someone that we really like, then we're gonna make more of an effort to appear 
uh, smartly dressed to wear the right clothes. Um, I'm still getting used to that because weddings in Southern California are still a lot more casual than in England. In England, it's still very much shirt and tie. And if not, then you're showing great disrespect. But, you know, I get it. You know, a Hawaiian shirt is acceptable wear for a wedding here. That's fine. But a holy T-shirt, a holy T-shirt probably isn't. And um, dirty jeans and flip-flop, even in Southern California, is going to show disrespect at a wedding. So what the gifts that we give, the, the way that we present ourselves to someone, shows what we think of somebody. Oh, thank you. Just give me 10 seconds. Thanks so much, Vince. And so, if we're showing honor to the Lord, then the, the, Lord, the Lord wants us to give of our whole selves. This is the gift that he wants us to give. And the, very much what I'm thinking in here is Romans 12, 1 to 2, that passage which is so precious to us, uh, one of my life verses that we need to give our whole selves as a living sacrifice. That is the gift that God wants us to give him in order to show the honor and respect which, uh, which is worthy of him. And uh, I love that, love that verse. And that is exactly the gift that I want to give to God there. And if I don't give my whole life in service to him, if I'm just giving some of my life in service to him, and there's some parts of my life which I'm not yielding to the Lord, where I want to do my own thing and not in obedience to scripture, then that is a bad gift that is being there. And that's very challenging for us, isn't it? Because we want to give our best to the Lord, but um, you know, sometimes we can just uh, we can just show up and we can be casual in our worship, uh, in, our, in, 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 in coming to church, the casual in the way that we sing, in the way that we're listening to the word, maybe thinking about other things as well. Yeah, it was as, as I was studying for this message, saw a wonderful quote by a Bible commentator, Robert Bailey, which is challenging to us. He says, what if there were a device to monitor your thoughts and emotions at the sanctuary door? and only genuine worshipers were admitted, would you be allowed to enter? And that's challenging, isn't it? And I'm very much in the same situation as so many of you here, and it's just wonderful to see so many families here. But of course, on Sunday morning, is all of the preparation of bringing your family here, getting dressed, brushing teeth, putting shoes on, the whole thing. When you come in through the door there, you really have to think about that. You know, am I really in it? And that's one of the great things about the time of worship here. And I really enjoyed the worship and the excellence of the worship here to give us a chance to refocus our thoughts and to think, am I, am I genuinely here? Because that's what the Lord wants for us as we come to the church service and in every other aspect of our life as well as we're going to be seeing throughout this message. He wants us to be wholly present and that is a sacrifice of worship to him. So the challenge from this point is, are we giving our whole selves and all aspects of our life over to the Lord? That's what the Lord wants for us. That is the good gift that God is wanting from us. So we're going to be looking at these things more. The, the theme comes up. This is the way that the Lord is bringing the accusation. This is the initial accusation that the Lord is bringing. And then he fleshes that out further and provides more evidence. And that's what we're going to turn to next. Secondly, 
the Lord's evidence that we despise his name if we give him bad gifts. And we're going to break down into three sections here. We're going to see that bad gifts are against God's commandments. Secondly, bad gifts cost us nothing. And then thirdly, bad gifts are not acceptable even to worldly masters. So first of all, bad gifts are against his command. We can see that in verse 8a, the first part of verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? So the priests here are being accused of God by giving bad gifts because they are against his commandments. And we can see from the language of the grammar here that the priests are repeatedly doing this because we have a participle here. When you present, present as a participle, and the priests are over and over again presenting bad sacrifices. So what's happening here is, obviously, people are bringing the sacrifices, but the priests are allowing bad sacrifices to go. The priest's job is to make sure that only the best sacrifices that meet the Levitical code are presented to the Lord in the temple. But they're turning a blind eye to this, and they're allowing the people to bring goods which are not their best. They're, uh, they're in cahoots with the people to give God bad things, and they're thinking, well, God's not really going to mind. At least we're sacrificing something. But this is in clear violation of the Mosaic law. God says in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 19 to 20, for you to be accepted, the sacrifice must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted to you. So the Lord was very clear that all the sacrifices that were to be presented to him must be perfect without defect. Why is that? Why did God expect such perfection of something which was just going to be, which was going to be killed and presented to him? The reason is he demands perfection because those sacrifices represented Christ. And Christ, as we know, was completely perfect, lived a perfect life, and he died a sacrificial death. And that's why in the Old Testament times, sacrifices were made in order to foreshadow the perfection of Christ as our Passover lamb, and, and uh, that it was that perfect Christ that would be sacrificed in order to atone for our sins. And so that's why it's so important that the picture here that the Lord gives us is of a perfect animal that is being sacrificed. So it might be expedient to offer a much less than perfect animal, and some people might think, well, what difference does it make? But it makes all the difference in the world because it represented Christ. And we don't want to represent Christ as being anything less than completely 100% holy and pure. And so God demands that the sacrifices given to him are pure as well. So that's what God expects. That's what God expected of the priests. How does that apply to us today? Well, of course, as we know, we don't need to sacrifice. We're not commanded to sacrifice. That's for Old Testament times. But still, we have an unchanging God, and he still has standards for us today. It's not just anything goes, even though we don't have the formality of the Levitical priesthood. God still has some standards. So let's look at some of these standards of what God expects from us some commands of how God wants us to behave.
First of all, just as I mentioned, we have Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And these are not exhaustive. These are just a few things that God expects of us. There are many others as well. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's one of the things that the Lord wants from us. He wants us to give our whole lives in service to him. And uh, we, we, we mustn't leave any part of our life outside of offering to God. No part of our life which is beyond the limits where we're not going to allow God and his word to speak to us and to conform us to the image of Christ. A second expectation, a second command that God gives to us is that we mustn't forsake the giving of us or the meeting of ourselves together. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And let us, just backing up to verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking your own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So God set commands us not to forsake the meeting of ourselves together. So this time where we're meeting together, to hold that as a sacred time, to always make it, if you possibly can, to gather together. Because if you're not here, then other people are not being blessed by your spiritual gifts, which you have to bless others, and then you are not being blessed by other spiritual gifts and by the preaching and exposition of the word and every other aspect of the worship service as well. So God expects us to be here and to gather and not forsake that and to make it a, the top priority in our week and not to allow anything else to overshadow that, if, if at all possible. Not to have a sort of, well, I'll go to church one week and go to church next, or I'll go to church if it's convenient. And then, when we're at church, God expects us to behave in a certain way. It's not just an anything goes, we'll just worship God however he wants us to. But God says in 1 Corinthians 14.40, do all things decently and in order. And so that's why in this church service we do everything decently and in order. We have an order and a structure, and everything that we do, we seek to honor the Lord and to worship him. And it's not what we think would be the worship, what we think would be a good way to run the service, but a way which is decently and in order. And one other thing, when we're at the church and we have a communion, as you're going to have in a week's time, we have certain we have certain commands from the Lord there. One Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Paul writes, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. So the Lord wants us to come to communion in a reverent way. This is a, this is a very special time where we remember the Lord, where we're solemn, and the Lord expects us to, to, to uh, worship him, to remember him in communion in a worthy way. And so this is why communion is just for Christians. It's not for non-Christians. And also... If you have something against somebody else, the Lord says you're not to take communion. First of all, you're to seek reconciliation with that person and um, so, so to, to give forgiveness or to seek forgiveness from somebody else before coming from communion. 
And that's something that is, I, 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 I always appreciate it when I'm reminded about that by the pastor presiding over communion, that, you know, it's okay. You can, you know, even if someone might think, well, what's wrong with him? Why is he not taking communion? But we need to follow the Lord and we need to make sure our relationships with others are right before we take the communion. Another command that the Lord gives us and which we need to pay and, and which we need to honor is the command to go into all the world and uh, make disciples. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to 20. It's at the end of all four of the Gospels because this is such an important command. If something's in the Bible once, it's important. If it's in the Bible at least four times, it's so important. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Lord expects us to be evangelizing, to witness to others, and to be making disciples, to seeking to replicate ourselves into other people so that the gospel can spread. And again, this is something the Lord has commanded us as a good gift to him, as a way that we worship him. And we need to think, well, are we, are we taking that seriously? Or is that something as an optional extra, the evangelism and raising up other people? Because God says that's a core part of what it is to be worship, worshiping him rightly. So bad gifts are against his commandments. And then good gifts are when we're following his commandments. Secondly, the evidence that God has against the priests is that bad gifts cost us nothing. That's also in verse 8a, where, where, I, where I read that the blind and the sick and the lame are being presented. And we get that because we think, well, why are the bad, why are the bad animals being given? It's because people don't want to pay the full cost of what it is to give a good gift to God. Basically, the blind, the lame, and the sick, those were the animals that you would get least money for uh, because people don't want it. People don't want your blind, lame, sick animals, and so you wouldn't be able to get much money for them. So what people were thinking of is, well, let's be really pragmatic here. Why don't we give God the things that we can't sell for a good price and our very best animals will sell in the marketplace and we'll do very well for ourselves. And the priests are allowing us to do this anyway, so why wouldn't we do this? And that speaks to us very much today. Even though God writes this to, even though God says this through the prophet Malachi more than two, about two and a half thousand years ago, it speaks to us so clearly today because Nothing more than pragmatism rules in this pragmatic age of us. And of course, we're all, even as, even as uh, even, even believers, we live in this world which is very pragmatic, and we, are, we, we so often can fall into pragmatic lines of thinking. And so here we have to think, well, yes, it may be easier just to give, not to give our best to the Lord, but we need to give our best to the Lord. If you think about it, a sacrifice which costs you nothing is an oxymoron, isn't it? Because the whole meaning of the word sacrifice is it costs us something. If we're giving a sacrifice and it costs us nothing, it doesn't make any sense. It's sacrifice, which means something that costs something, which costs us nothing. So that's why it's an oxymoron. And it's not acceptable. We have a good illustration of this from King David in 2 Samuel 24, 24. King David is showing us that a sacrifice needs to cost something. 
At the end of his life, David disobeyed the Lord by conducting a census of his troops. He wanted to know how many troops he had. He didn't want to trust the Lord that the Lord would provide enough troops for him for his battles. And so he goes against the Lord and he counts the people anyway, counts the, counts the soldiers anyway. And the Lord judges him for this because David doesn't trust the Lord because of the census that he conducts. The Lord judges him and he gives him three options uh, and three options for punishment. And he, he chooses the option which is uh, for a plague to come. And many people are killed because of that. But then the angel of death, the time of the killing comes to an end. And David wants to worship God at the place where, uh, at the, at the place where this killing has, has stopped. And he wants, to, he wants to set up a place of worship on this mount, which is where the temple stood and where we have the Temple Mount still today in Jerusalem. And the, person, and the person that owns this land says, you don't have to buy this land from me. I'm just going to give it to you. But David says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David knows that in order to honor the Lord, in order to sacrifice the, to the Lord on this place, Temple Mount, then it's going to cost him something. So David is not going to be giving to the Lord on a place, piece of land which is just given to, to him. So he wants to pay, he wants to pay Aruna for this piece of land. And so that's why our sacrifices must cost us something. A great quote, again, that I uh, saw from Bible commentator Bailey is, we've accepted the idea that we can give more today than yesterday for anything and for everything except our gifts to God. And we know about that, don't we? We know each year when the yearly bills come round, we know it's going to cost more, don't we? For everything apart from your road tax, that always seems to get less because your car gets older and isn't worth so much. So that's, the, that's my favorite bill because it's always less. But, you know, we accept that, don't we? Each year we're going to pay more and more. But when it comes to our giving to God, is that the same as well? Or, or are we going to give more to God? Um, or are we going to give less to God? We've accepted that idea. And so that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Let me give you a great example, a great encouragement here of giving more to the Lord and seeking to give to the Lord, even sacrificially. 2 Corinthians, verse eight, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, we see the example of the Macedonian giving. And this is an amazing example of giving. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5. An amazing example to us, and one which will really which will really challenge us if we're not giving as we ought to to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make it known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with so much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 
Isn't that just an amazing example of giving? I'm always amazed when I read that example of the Macedonian giving. These people were so poor that Paul, who I'm sure wouldn't lightly say to them, you know, you really don't need to be giving. I'm sure Paul would give them, would give them the opportunity because he knows how important giving is, not just for him, but more for the sake of the people giving. But for Paul to say to them, you know, you really don't have to give. You're just that poor. And for them to give out of their poverty and to plead to give, isn't that challenging? Have any of us done that? Pled to give when someone's given us the option not to give? So challenging, isn't it? And we see that good gifts to the Lord will cost us something. And it's not only giving of our finances, but also giving of our time to the Lord's work. That is so important as well. Not everything in the, spirit, in the kingdom of God is accomplished through gifts of money, but also through time. And also, if we think even more outside the box, have we paid the price uh, of worshiping the Lord, perhaps with our reputation? Have we been willing to put our reputation on the line in order to reach out and to speak something of the gospel to maybe a co-worker or maybe to somebody else who may look down upon us and where there may really be a price. In England these days, maybe some of you are aware, uh, the country has really turned its back on God and to, to, to speak up for the Lord really is, is, you will be seen very lowly in the eyes of your colleagues at work and you will, may even be denied for promotion because people think that uh, worshiping the Lord is something which is like madness. Why would you do this? And so if you speak something for the Lord, then you may well be looked down upon, and it may really cost you something. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to pay the price with our reputation for following Christ? So it costs, it costs us something to be involved. If we're going to be serving the Lord more, then it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us time, money, uh, other pleasures. We're going to have to give up. Are we willing to pay the price? The Lord says to us that we need to do that because if we're going to be sacrificing to him, sacrificing our lives, it's going to cost us something. Then thirdly, the third piece of evidence is that bad gifts are not even acceptable to worldly masters. That's in the second half of verse 8 and then into verse 9. Bad gifts, we, we know bad gifts are not even acceptable to worldly masters. God says about the sacrifices, why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? So here the Lord's saying, these gifts that you give to me, you know that they're bad gifts. You have no excuse for offering the blind, the lame, and the sick animals because you know that even your governor would not accept it. You know it's not acceptable. You have no excuse. You wouldn't dream of offering this to your governor because you'd be in big trouble if you did. So this is a third mark of a bad gift is it's not even acceptable to worldly masters. And God, and, and God in verse 9 through the prophet Malachi is mocking this. He's mocking this. He's, 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 he's challenging them to give this gift to the governor and to, to see if it will be accepted graciously because he knows that it's not going to be. And so God himself also is not going to accept this bad sacrifice. Well, for us, we know that 
We know poor work when we, when we see it. We know if we do poor work, that will result in bad grades if we're at school. We know that if we do bad work for our bosses, that we're gonna be asked to do it again, and that uh, our credibility in the job may be diminished, and our chances for promotion may be denied. We know that if we don't give our best in a sports team, then we'll probably be, uh, we'll probably be benched or kicked off the team altogether. We know this, we know what good work looks like and we know what poor work, poor work looks like as well. Some of us may even take our hobbies more seriously than we do our ministry for the Lord as well. So the Lord's challenging us here that we need to give the same level of effort that we do to our work, to our hobbies, as we do to the Lord. And even more than that, this is not an earthly master that we're serving, but our heavenly master. So our service for Christ should be even of a higher quality, of a higher degree of excellence than any of the work that we would do for worldly masters. Let me give an example of excellence, going back to uh, that opening illustration of the Olympics. For all of you Olympic lovers, let me give you this example. The Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt ran the fastest ever 100 meters in his race at the London 2012 Olympics with a time of 9.69 seconds. So he can run 100 meters almost, it's, it's, well, it's faster than the blink of an eye, but it would be pretty amazing to watch. The second place runner, also fellow Jamaican, Johan Blake's time was 9.75 seconds, and he came second. The difference between the first place and the second place is 0.06 seconds. That is the standard of excellence that you have to achieve if you are going to run the 100 meters uh, for the Olympics. And not only that, but the standard of excellence if you want to get the world record for running the 100 meters. What dedication people can show, and that's just for a human cause. This sprinter isn't serving the Lord in this sense. He is, he is, he is serving the sport of, of running here, and he is so dedicated to that. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? To see that level of excellence and think, well, we're serving the Lord here. We also want to give him our very best we want to serve him with just as much of a level of excellence as well. And so hopefully that will help us in everything that we do to serve the Lord better. We may, we may, we may be punctual for work. We may even show up for work early. But what about church? Maybe we're not punctual for church. Maybe we're sharp late for church. What about the intensity of our worship when we're worshiping the Lord do we have more intensity of worship for our favorite baseball team? Maybe the angels, when we go and see the angels, although I hear they're not doing so well, so maybe we don't have that much of an intensity. But you get the point there. We, you know, we really sing the, maybe we really sing all of those uh, baseball songs or football songs, soccer songs, whatever it might be. Do we sing in church with that level of intensity? A lot of churches you go to, you don't see, you see, you, you hardly hear people singing at all, which is so sad, really troubling. What about talking to the Lord? We talk about our hobbies all the time. Maybe we talk uh, about our work to other people, maybe to the point of boredom. Maybe we bore people because of the way we talk about our hobbies and our work, whatever thing may be of interest. 
What about the Lord? If the Lord is going to be, if we're sacrificing our whole lives to the Lord, then you would expect us to be talking to the Lord a lot more. That's really challenging, isn't it? Really challenging. And then the extent to which it dominates your mind. You know how the things that we really are interested in just can dominate our mind, can make the hours fly by so quickly. Well, how about it? How is it when you're thinking about the Lord? Does that so dominate your mind as well? It should. That's what the Lord is challenging us to here, to not only meet the level of our, of our worldly interests, but also to exceed them. So those are the three things that we can recognize what giving to the Lord in a good way looks like. Thirdly, final point briefly, what is the Lord's verdict when we give him bad gifts? And this is in verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Let's draw two things out of this. Firstly, it is better to give no gift than to give a bad gift. That's what the Lord is saying to us here. It's better to give no gift than a bad gift. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the gates of the temple. I don't want your bad gifts. I'd rather if no gifts were given to me at all. We need to shut this whole thing down. We need to have a moratorium on giving until you get your attitude right here. It's a little bit like, a little bit like Starbucks. I hear, I, I, I think it's true. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's just a, a um, folk legend. But I hear that several years ago, all of Starbucks in America closed down for a whole day because the standard of the coffee making was not up to par. And so they said, let's just close, take a day to refocus and make the coffee right again. This Lord's saying here, I'd rather you just shut down the giving, take some time to refocus so that you get good gifts. Your bad gifts are not acceptable to me. You need to be giving good gifts here. And we might think, in our pragmatic way of thinking, well, surely God should be glad that any gifts are being given to him. After all, this is Israel, his covenant people, and they're so different. They, they have so much more of a knowledge of God than anyone else. They are God's representatives on earth in the Old Testament times. Surely God should be glad here. You know, it is the, only, the temple here is the only temple where God is being honored in, in any way. All the others... All the other nations are pagan. Surely God should be pleased. But he's not pleased by it. He wants good giving being given. And then we know that not only... And, and, and so God says here, close those temple doors. But even beyond that, we know God is serious here. We know that, we know that he's not just exaggerating because God is pleased even to destroy the temple at times. We know in 586 BC, the temple was destroyed and left derelict. We know that the temple was cleansed by Christ when he came to the earth. We read about that in Matthew 21, 13. And we know that God was pleased for the temple to be destroyed altogether in AD 70 because the Jewish people completely rejected their Messiah. And that was the whole point of the giving altogether. So God doesn't want the giving to just continue for the sake of giving. There's no point in that. So we know the Lord is serious here. We need to remember that he's either Lord of all or he's Lord not at all. As commentator David Levy helpfully says, 
Remember, he is either Lord of all or he's Lord not at all. Let's give a few illustrations here. We think, well, surely it's better to have some gift rather than nothing. I know that my children are really pleased to receive any gift. They're not that fussy. Well, they are fussy, but sometimes they just like a gift, whatever it is. Oh, thank you, Daddy. You bought me this airline ticket as a souvenir or something. Sometimes they can be like that. They're getting a little bit more picky, I must say. But we're like that as but but we're we were a bit more discerning than that. If we get a gift and it's not quite what we wanted, we said we wanted a a nice fashionable nice fashionable sweater. But then what do we get for Christmas? Well, Aunt Jean or whoever she is knitted us this nice pink sweater. <laughs> and well, what can we make of that? We say I wish I didn't get this pink sweater. I'd rather have gotten no gift than this. It's really useless, really useless to me. Just going to take up space in the wardrobe. Or another illustration. It is better not to have a fire alarm, not to have a smoke detector, than to have a smoke detector with no batteries. If there's a smoke detector with no batteries up on the top of the ceiling, I might have a false sense of security. But if there's just no smoke detector, there, well, because it's not going to work because it has no batteries in. But if there's no smoke detector there at all, that is better for me because then I know, oh, there's no smoke detector here. I better get a smoke detector. I really need that. I know that this needs to be addressed. So sometimes it's better to have no gift than to have a bad gift. So how does that apply to us today? Well, we need to give good gifts and... and, and um, we, we, we mustn't have a pretense. It's not good enough for us to have a pretense, oh, I'm serving the Lord, I'm here, but my heart's not really in it. I'm attending this church meeting, but I don't even really know why I'm there. I'm kind of lost a little bit. Or maybe we're singing along with the songs, with the worship, but our heart really isn't in it. Well, the Lord would say to us, it's better for you to, to not to do that, to take time to refocus it's better for you not just to have a pretense. And certainly, I think where it's important is not to have a pretense with our other Christian brothers and sisters. If, 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 we, if we are struggling, if we're struggling with worshipping the Lord, then it's, it's good for us not to say, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. But it's better just to take someone alongside and to share that and to seek uh, other spiritual gifts to help us to be able to worship and to serve the Lord rightly. It's better not to have that pretense. So that's the challenge there. We need to make sure that we're giving the Lord our best and not a pretense. What we're doing, we want to have our whole heart into it. And then lastly, God is not pleased with a bad gift. Again, from that verse, verse 10, God is, God is not pleased. We see how displeased God is with a bad gift here. God says to King Saul that in 1 Samuel 15:22. When Saul is giving a sacrifice, but it's not the sacrifice that God wants from him, and where God says he's going to remove King Saul from the throne and give it to King David, who's a better man, God says it is better to obey than it is to sacrifice. God wants us to be serving him, not begrudgingly, but willingly. He wants us to be willing servers of him. We know how it is when people do something for us begrudgingly. It's not nice, is it? We almost wish that that person 
didn't do anything for us at all, didn't serve us in a particular way, if we feel that it's being given begrudgingly, if it's not being given wholeheartedly. And then on the other side, how pleased we are when somebody just, it seems like they can't do enough for us. They're just so willing to help us out in this way. That just is so encouraging, isn't it? The Lord is not pleased with a bad gift. We see his frustration, more than frustration here, his, his deep, deep displeasure. He'd rather the temple be shut altogether. But God is pleased when we give to him, when we give to him willingly. So final exhortation here is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. This is just a really beautiful passage, a really beautiful passage about what it looks like for us to give the Lord good gifts. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 12. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. And I really love that passage because we see what can happen, the beauty of those that are cheerful givers to the Lord, that give of everything to the Lord. Rather than thinking, well, if I give everything to the Lord, then I'm not going to have anything left for me. But God says, if we give to the Lord, he's going to give us so that we can give even more. And there's going to be an abundance and there's going to be such a richness to our life. And I love this passage because I really stand testimony to that here this morning because I have been at points where I think, well, you know, how can I give? I really don't have very much to give, but I've trusted the Lord and I've given to him. And what I found is that I'm not left a debtor. And I really have come to believe that it's impossible to be in debt to the Lord. The more we give, it seems the more the Lord wants to give to us. The Lord's not going to leave us in debt. Uh, to him. He's always going to give us more and more. So that's my final exhortation to you is give of all you have. Give your whole life as a sacrifice to the Lord and your life will be so rich and you, you will be in such communion with the Lord and, with, and, and really feel so useful in his service and really pleasing to the Lord. And, 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 and even beyond that, not just because we're obliged to please the Lord, but because we please the Lord, not because he expects us to, but just out of sheer love, because he saved us and rescued us and extended his grace to us, uh, we, we, we will be giving from the purest of motives and have such joy from that. The last verse of the hymn that we sang, just close with that. With a... Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, 
Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And I really hope that will be true of your life as well, that you'll just be in such, uh, such joy with the, Lord, with, with the Lord for what he's done for you, that you will give all of you. And, and it will just be so pleasing for you to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the many benefits that you've given to our salvation and all else besides. I pray that we will realize that and realize what a treasure we have in you and that we will see everything that we have as something to give to you and uh, not, uh, and that we want to give our best. I pray that you help us to give our best to you because we have our minds rightly focused that you are everything that there is and that our whole lives are just to be consumed in you. Uh, not that you would take it against our will, but that we will willingly give this to you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.